0: Are there enough donuts left? Still donuts back there? Yeah. Alright. <laughs> just for you, Buff. You shouldn't even look at those donuts, Buff. They're just a heart attack in a circle, right? Yeah. <laughs> Alright, so if you would open in your journals to First Thessalonians, chapter 5, and then have your regular Bibles ready because we're going to divert from there rather abruptly this morning in order to thoroughly address the topic at hand. If you remember, 1 Thessalonians is all about living for Jesus while waiting for Jesus, living with Him, living for Him while we wait for Him. And so this morning we are going to look at uh, chapter 5, verses 19 to 22, I don't know if you've noticed, but the challenge of this little section here from 12 to the end is that it just, like, blurred topics. It's hard to know where he's linking topics together and when he's separating them, and so we've kind of tried to do our best to put them in the groupings we think maybe they should be in, but certainly there's much overlap as we're doing this. Um, So this morning, I'm choosing to group 19 to 22 together, although 19 to 22 is connected to what we talked about last week, and then that's connected to what was talked about the week before that, so... This section is definitely there's links, links and connections to be made. All right, but for today, uh, verse nineteen. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you to God. God. We thank Him for his word this morning. So today, I'm going to cut right to the chase. We're going to talk about prophesying while waiting for Jesus. Prophesying while waiting for Jesus. And this morning is going to be more like a teaching than a sermon, in a sense, because there's just facts that we need to go over together. Um, information that we need to have in order to understand what does it mean when Paul tells us um, to not quench the Spirit, but instead, and and to not to despise prophecies. And so he's telling us these go together, I think. In other words, don't quench the Spirit and do not despise prophecy. Um, Prophecy is a gift of the Spirit. And by despising prophecy, you will quench the Spirit. Now, the, the word quench here. Is, is a word that they would use for putting out a fire. And so, for this Sunday sermon, I would like you to look back on this in years to come as the fire extinguisher sermon. Because really, that's what the word means, to quench. It's the idea that if you despise prophecies, it's like taking a fire extinguisher and hosing down the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to burn a fire in you, and if you quench him, that's what you're doing. And he's saying if you despise prophecies, that that's what you're doing. You're spraying the Holy Spirit down. You are causing him to not act in your life the way that he wants you to act. And the word despise there is actually the word for just treating it as not. And I think of that almost as if I say to you, we should practice the gift of prophecy, and you go, eh, nah. It's kind of that casual response to something. And so the warning here is if you are here, that we're going to talk about the gift of prophecy and you're like, ah, you know, okay, whatever, that's quenching the Spirit. That is, that is putting out the fire of the Holy Spirit. And so there's a warning here from God for us to not do that. We don't want to despise prophecies. Now, I think some of us, perhaps in this room, can despise prophecy and diminish the work of the Spirit or quench the Spirit by thinking, I believe in that gift and stuff, but not for me (laughs) in other words other people may have that gift but not me and so if that thought is in your head I just want to encourage you to repent because that's not humble necessarily it's actually doubting the powerful work of the spirit in your life and the spirit of God is at work in your life and so there's no reason why the spirit of God can't give you the gift of prophecy or have you at times prophesy And we also have, I think, another possible possible way we can despise the Spirit. And this is one that I think we as a church have fallen into what might be an unhealthy pattern in. And that is, it seems that every time that we're preaching through books of the Bible and this topic gets brought up and we preach on it, you guys apply the word heroically. And for several Sundays, there's prophetic words. And then it tails off. Until the next time that there's a message on the gift of prophecy. Or Tyler, Jordan, and I mentioned the gift of prophecy, and then there's a flurry of prophecies, and then there's none for a while again. And so I've been thinking this week about, how do we break out of that habit? How do, we, how do we get out of that? And so this morning is a way to kind of reignite this gift in us, and then there's going to be, hopefully, as we leave this Sunday morning, more opportunities and more reminders coming so that we can break out of the cycle that we're in. Does that make sense? Some of you, some of you are tracking with me, and you know what I'm talking about. We just forget and so we don't exercise the gifts that God has given us. So, in God's sovereignty this morning, I pray that we're going to pour some gasoline on the work of the Spirit and increase our ability to exercise the gifts of the Spirit, including the gift of prophecy. Now, to do that, we have to leave 1 Thessalonians and head over to 1 Corinthians. Because 1 Corinthians is where Paul gives us a very clear understanding of what the gift is. Um, so we're going to go there. We're going to go to uh, 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at, begin looking in chapter 12 this morning. I'm going to Go through this rather quickly, and you may have questions at the end, and that's fine. I would expect maybe there to be questions at the end, but I want us to go through basically a whole biblical theology this morning of the gift of prophecy um, so that we are all on the same page. And so, before we look at verse chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page that Paul is writing to the letter to the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth has some very significant issues. I mean, they are one jacked-up church. And so I just wanted to see that he really is writing to a church, to a community, to a family. So if you're taking notes, the very first point I'd want to make this morning is to remember that the theme of 1 Corinthians is community. And in chapter 11, we're going to back up one chapter, it's all about the Lord's Supper. And he begins this whole conversation about the Lord's Supper and talking about their togetherness. So in verse 17, he says in chapter 11, when you come together. Verse 18, when you come together as a church. Verse 20, when you come together. Verse 33, when you come together. Verse 34, when you come together. So is that all up there? Are all those verses up there or no? Do we have them? There they are. So they're there before. I just want you to get the idea that this really was written to a group of people just like us, to a church. And so he's addressing how we are to live our lives together as a church. And that continues from chapter 11, that theme of unity, togetherness, in 11, 12, 13, and then in 14, he wraps it up in verses, uh, chapter 14, verse 23, he says it again, if therefore the whole church comes together, and then in verse 26, when you come together. So just want to make the point that this is all about us and community. It's about us loving one another and us living life together as a church family. And then in chapter 12, he transitions to the way that they have messed up the Lord's Supper as a community. And then in chapter 12 to 14, he's going to talk about the power of the Spirit when they come together. So he's got Lord's Supper he addresses, then he goes into this whole idea of the power of the Holy Spirit. And then in 12.1, he makes that transition. And he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Or maybe your verse, version says ignorant. He doesn't want us to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. He doesn't want us to be uninformed about them. And so let's keep reading in chapter 12, verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all to, or all in, everyone. Do you see the word everyone? Everyone. That is key. So if you're taking notes, number two is that there are a variety of gifts. I don't know if you've caught that in this first couple of verses there's a variety of gifts and then he's very specific that he gives them to everyone so the third point is everyone gets one there's a variety of them but everybody gets one so let's keep reading to see how everybody gets one so verse 6 ends with he gives them to everyone verse 7 to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So we are a community, but he gives each one a different gift as he wills. And that's the point of this. So everyone is getting a gift. Now in verse 12, he transitions to why. Why is he giving all of these gifts? So let's look at verse 12 together. For just as the body is one and has many members, so here we go. He is now going to use the word body 14 times in this passage. So let me just tell you what the, what the point is. The point he's trying to make is this, that gifts are given for the sake of the body. I'm just going to tell you, then we'll read it. For the sake of the body. This is why he gives gifts. It's not for our own personal gratification. It's for the sake of each other that are literally in this room this morning. So verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, "Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body," that would, that would not make it any less part of the body. I feel like we should all read the word "body" together when I get to it. <laughs> and if the ear should say, "Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body," that would not make it any less a part of the eye. body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the, body. each one of them He chooses, He as He chose. If all were single, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts yet one. The eye cannot say to the hand, "I have no need of you," nor the nor again the head to to the feet, "I have no need for you." On the contrary, the parts of the that seem to be weaker or indispensable are on those parts of the... Honor. That we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which which our more pre- presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the... Honor. Giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that it may be no division in the but that the members may have the same care for one another. And so, just stop there. You get the point. God gives gifts to everyone. And the gifts are to build up the body. They're for the sake of the body. So he shares all of this about the body, that every genuine disciple of Jesus has a different manifestation of the Spirit for the benefit of the body. And then we get to chapter 13, which is all about the. Right? The love chapter. In other words, all the gifts need to operate in an atmosphere of love. And that's why chapter 13 exists. Sorry if you did it in your wedding, we did it in ours, but it really has nothing to do with weddings as much as it has to do with how you exercise the spiritual gifts and the unity of the church. So that's what it's there for. Then he comes back to chapter 14 and he brings love and prophecy together, or loving gifts together. So look at 14.1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Do you see what he does? He's, he's just trying to weave something into our church. He wants us all to realize you've got a gift. God has given you a gift for the body. That gift needs a function and atmosphere of love, right? And now he's going to talk about very specifically how that happens in verse 1 of chapter 14, where he says, especially that you may prophesy. Especially that you may prophesy. So three times... In this chapter, he is going to make prophecy a priority. So if you look at point number five, the priority of prophecy. So in 14.1, I just read it. He says, especially that you may prophesy. In 14.5, he says, even more to prophesy. And in 14.39, he says, earnestly desire to prophesy. So it would seem that if God tells us three times that we should eagerly desire something that we should probably pay attention. Wouldn't you agree? I, I would think so. And it seems to me that maybe this is the reason why in the, to the church in Thessalonica, he doesn't really mention any other gifts, but he goes straight to this one, which personally I find odd. It's a brand new church, a bunch of baby Christians, and what does he say to them? He goes right after, don't despise prophecies. Don't quench the Spirit. And then here, all these gifts, then he says, but especially I want everyone to exercise this gift of prophecy. So even though all gifts are given by God and no gift is better than another and all gifts are good for the body, this is the only one he says, I want especially and earnestly for you to desire. And I'm not going to pretend I understand fully why God does this. I have some ideas as we continue studying, but I don't know exactly why. But I do know this. I want to obey God. And I want us to obey God. And so if God highlights this and pushes it to the top, then I feel like we should. I mean, isn't part of just pleasing God, taking God's priorities and making them our priorities? Right? So if God prioritizes something, and I'm, I want to prioritize it, and it seems like here he is prioritizing the gift of prophecy above all other gifts. And so, now, that was really fast, everything I discovered. Any questions? Is that pretty clear? Is that clear, what everybody just heard? Because now we get into the confusing part. That was the easy part. All right, so we're on the same page. So number six. The first thing we're going to say about the gift of prophecy, that's important, is that New Testament prophecy is not the equivalent of an Old Testament prophet. It's not the same thing. An Old Testament prophet was positioned and appointed by God to deliver a message about the future, that God was going to bring usually judgment and sometimes blessing. The Old Testament prophet was limited to just a few individuals, not the whole body, not to a group of people. And it seems that if anyone replaced Old Testament prophets, it would be the apostles, because prophets would speak the very words of God. They would say, thus says the Lord. And when the apostles wrote Scripture, they were speaking the very words of God. So if anything is replacing an Old Testament prophet, it would be a New Testament apostle as they wrote Scripture. So just to be clear, we're not talking about prophecy like foretelling the future, the very words of God like someone like Isaiah or Jeremiah did. The second thing, well, I already said it. It is not speaking the very words of God, right? So an Old Testament prophet would say, thus says the Lord. We see that 414 times in the Old Testament. That is not the case here. In the New Testament, none of the examples are thus says the Lord, and it's not a, a, something that's said that's then written down in Scripture. So let me just give you three examples from our New Testament that I hope help make it clear as to what the gift of prophecy is. The first is in, well, two of them are in Acts 21. So in Acts 21, if you remember, a prophecy is given to Paul to refrain to go to Jerusalem. It's a prophecy like, Paul, we don't want you to go. It says, actually, through the Spirit, they were telling Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. So the Spirit had revealed to the people that Jerusalem was going to be a bad situation when he gets there. And so these people, they get the prophecy, said, Paul, it's going to be bad. Don't go, don't go. But what does Paul do? He goes. Now, if Paul thought what they were speaking was the very words of God, would he have disobeyed it and gone? I don't think so. So I think this is an example of the exercising of the gift of prophecy where God revealed something to these prophets, these people with the gift of prophecy, and they spoke it. Paul heard it, but then said, all right, thanks for the information that's going to be bad. I already knew that. I'm going anyway. Then a few verses later is the the prophecy given by Agabus. Do you remember that one? Where he takes Paul's belt and he ties up his arms and his feet, and he says, this is what's going to happen to you when you when you get to Jerusalem. This is what's going to happen if you go... And he says, the Jews are going to bind you up this way. Well, when Paul gets to Jerusalem, it's actually not the Jews that bind him up. It's actually the Gentiles. It's the Romans that tie him up. So Agabus's prophecy, his prophetic word, is really only half right. Well, what did you do to an Old Testament prophet if his words were half right? You stoned him. There's no, no record here of Agabus being stoned for getting his prophetic word half right, if you will. Does that make sense? So there's a distinction here. They're not hearing it going, this is God's very words, and it better be 100%, dude, or we're going to stone you. They received it, and in this case, half of it came correct. The third example um, comes when our Savior um, is being uh, beaten before Jesus is crucified, and the Roman soldiers begin to spit on him, and they cover Jesus' face and they hit him and they say to him, Jesus, prophesy. They, they ask him to prophesy. So they're asking Jesus to do is to tell them who it is that hit him. They're not asking Jesus to foretell the future. You know what I'm saying? They're asking, the, the saying is, Jesus, may God bring to your mind something you wouldn't know unless God revealed it to you. And that's a, that's a harsh example, but it is a sense in which these these pagan Roman soldiers believed that God could reveal something to someone's mind, or maybe there's mocking him saying, you let your God do that, but the idea that God could bring something to his mind that he wouldn't know any other way. And so prophecy then seems to be God revealing something or putting something in someone's mind, but it does not carry the same authority as an Old Testament prophet. And here's another reason why we say that's true. If you look in chapter 14, verse 27... Uh, 1 Corinthians, thank you. 1 Corinthians, let me just read a couple of verses here to help clarify why it's not the equivalent of Old Testament prophecy. So 1 Corinthians 14, 27, "If if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at the most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each one of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. When Isaiah shared a prophecy, did God tell the people, now weigh what he said? No. (laughs) It was obey. But here, when someone with the gift of prophecy shares the word, they're told to weigh what is said. Evaluate what's being told. Sift through it. And if you remember what it said in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, the verses I read at the very beginning, He says, test everything. So he says, don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. Test everything. So prophetic words are to be tested. And so that's why when our history as a church, if someone had a prophetic word, they would find Tyler, Jordan, or I, and they'd share it with us, and then we would test it. We'd be listening to see, is this helpful? Does this build the church? Is it corrective? Is it keeping with God's word? Is it building up? And, and is it clear? And we would use that those kind of categories before someone would share at the mic. So that's kind of the way that we have in the past weighed a prophetic word. And so let's keep reading and learn more then about what a prophetic word is. So number eight in your words, we're going to see that prophecy is a revelation from God. It is God revealing something. So if you want to look at verse 30... 1 Corinthians 14, verse 30. If a revelation is made to one sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all, and here's the word, prophesy. So there's a link between prophecy and revelation. Do you see that? If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be Encouraged, so the word for prophecy there is being linked to the word for revelation. It is a revelation from God. It's something God brings to mind. Now, in your notes, in your notes, I have a a quote there by Wayne Grudem. The reason that I'm quoting him is because he's written two books on the gift of prophecy. He is reformed, like we are. So he believes we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Everything's for the glory of God, so we're on the same page with that. And then as he began to explore and study the gift of prophecy, he realized, hey, this gift really is for today, which most Reformed people don't like. right? Most Reformed people don't usually embrace the gifts of the Spirit. And so Wayne Grudem does, and so I'm picking him intentionally for that reason um, and because of the book that he wrote. So here's what he says. This is under number eight. So prophecy is a revelation from God. Here, he, Paul, uses the word revelation in the broader sense than the technical way theologians have used it to speak the words of Scripture, the very words of Scripture. But the New Testament elsewhere uses the term reveal and revelation in this broader sense of communication from God that does not result in Scripture or equal to Scripture in authority. So in other words, there's places in God's word where you read the word um, revelation, and it's talking about God's revelation, God's revealed word, his written word. Then There's other places like here in God's word where the word revelation is used, and it's not referring to God's written word. It's referring to God simply revealing something and bringing something into someone's mind, and so that's the case here, and I think that's what this verse shows us, that it's a spontaneous word even that God brings to mind because the person is just sitting there, it says, minding their own business, and then God suddenly brings a thought to their mind that is different than what they had already been thinking about. So number nine, prophecy is a spontaneous revelation. That's why he says you're sitting there, someone's sharing a prophetic word, and then you're just sitting there mind your own business, and all of a sudden God drops a thought into your head. All right, let me me level the playing ground for a minute. If you love Jesus and you follow Christ, this has happened to all of you at some point where you have been just going about minding your own business and God has just dropped a thought in your head. Pray for this person. Text this person and encourage them. Go over and help that person over there. It's happened to you. As soon as we attach the word prophecy to it, I think it becomes spooky maybe or or weird or, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. So just let's all just... (gasps) Everybody here, if you've got the Spirit of God in you, you've experienced this in some way. And what he's doing here is saying, this is something that should happen and function when the whole body is together too. In other words, bring the gift to the party. Don't just leave it one-on-one. Bring it here. Let it be part of what you do as a church family. So, back to what Wayne Grudem says here, which I think is helpful. Under number nine, Paul is simply referring to something that God may suddenly bring to mind or something that God may impress on someone's consciousness in such a way that the person has a sense it's from God. It may be that the thought brought to mind is surprisingly distinct from the person's own train of thought, or that is it is accompanied by a sense of urgency or persistence. You guys know what that's like, right? When, when the, the thought won't go away, like, all right, I'll pray for the person, or all right, I'll, I'll go talk to them, or all right, I'll help them, or I'll send them that text, because the thought doesn't leave your head. That's what he's getting at here. Or in some other way, he says, the person is rather, has a rather clear sense that this is from the Lord. A clear sense. This just seems to be from God, so I need to do something about it. So it seems that the gift of prophecy, then, if you kind of put it all together, is telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. It is a revelation that God has spontaneously brought into our minds. And at the very bottom of number 9, I put a whole bunch of verses there for you to look up at another time just to show you that a lot of the churches, all the churches that are mentioned in the New Testament, all had the gift of prophecy functioning in them. So that's why I put them there. So, let's, let me say a few things, and then we'll go back to the text. I think, I'm going to jump in ahead a little bit to application, that for us as a church, I think there's a place for all of us, when we gather, to be listening, and to have a moment where we say, I have a sense from the Spirit that God is saying something to someone here, and I don't know who it is, but he's giving me a word for someone, and I don't know who. I mean, that's happened before in this room with us together, where God just brings something to mind. Um, This happens sometimes when I think when Tyler Jordan and I even just pray, sometimes there's a prayer that we're singing, and I just feel like God really just highlights something, and I just want to pray it, and it the prophecy is almost coming out through prayer. But the sense in which God can do that to us is a corporate thing where God gives you a thought, but you don't know who it's for. But then I think there's also a sense that we could grow, and I think that God wants to help us grow in us as we're gathered Thank you. Try it again. I'll put it outside of my shirt and see if that helps. I think there's also a sense in which it's possible that the Spirit wants us to grow at Him, listening for him to give us words for specific people so that while we're driving here in the morning praying, while we are singing together to be asking God if there's somebody specific in the room that he wants us to share something encouraging with and that we'd be listening for that. So I know that coming up here and sharing with the whole church can seem terrifying to some of you. Maybe there's a sense in which God wants to use some of you for that and others to actually have our time of encouragement be very prophetic, to be very much us moving around the room going, hey, while we were singing, God just put this verse on my heart and I want to share it with you. Um, and I think that would be a great way for us to even grow in exercising the gift maybe in, uh, on that one-to-one scale. And so... Let's just move on to number 10. I think that the whole point of this is the idea that God uses the gift of prophecy to push mission forward. And he uses it to push mission forward in a unique way. And we know our mission is a going and a growing mission. So I think, if I keep reading these verses in First Corinthians, he echoes and, and emphasizes growing and going as the reasons for the gift of prophecy. And so there's a bunch of verses that go under uh, number 10, and I put him there to save us some time this morning. But it says this, The one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So all these are from chapter 14. The one who prophesies builds up the church. The one who prophesies so that the church may be built up. Since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. So the the gift is very clear in purpose. It is so that we can encourage each other, so that you can be built up, so that you can experience God's presence. That is the reason for the gift of prophecy. I mean, that's kind of the main point of chapter 14. Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Especially desire the gift of prophecy because it builds up the church in a way that other gifts don't build up the church. And so at the top of the next page of your booklet, let me quote Wayne one more time. Prophecy is superior to the other gifts because the revelation on which it depends allows it to be suited to the specific needs of the moment. You guys have felt that, right? The need of the moment could be that person needs to hear a verse about God's love, and so God puts that verse in your head and you deliver it in that moment because people need to hear it. It needs... Needs that may not be known or may only be known to God. So He gives you something in your mind that only God knows about. In this way, prophecy is supremely qualified to be speech that edifies or speech that fits the occasion, that it may impart grace to those who hear. Does that make sense? So it's, it's supposed to build up the church, to edify the church. All right, how are we don't have time. All right, can I share a couple of examples? Let me share a couple of illustrations. Maybe this will help bring more clarity. So there was a season, and some of these are more in the past because they're very vivid for me, and some of them are ones that were delivered to me and a few are ones that I delivered. So I hope maybe this is helpful. Um, there, were, there was a season, good night, 20 years ago now, 15, 18 years ago, I don't remember, where I was trying to decide if I was going to go back to being a carpenter or if I was going to keep pursuing to be a pastor. And I kept going back and forth. I didn't know should I be a pastor? Should I be a carpenter? What does God really want me to do? And we were leaning in the pastor direction, but really wanting just God to confirm, is it really, really going to gift me to do this or not? And so we were in a prayer meeting with a group of people, and uh, as they were praying, this lady who doesn't know me at all, that we had never met before, um, she goes, hey, um, I, I've, got a, I've got a picture for you. I think it's for you, and I don't know. It's kind of weird. I was like, whatever. So she's like, I was moving my, she goes, God just brought this picture in my head for you. I was moving my mom um, this past week, and she had a box of books, and the book on top was more than just a carpenter. She goes, Does that mean anything to you? I was like, No, nothing at all. (laughs) So God just spontaneously brought to her mind, she knew nothing about me trying to struggle with this decision, she knew nothing about me being a carpenter, nothing about my struggle to be a pastor, but God just dropped that thought in her head. In a prayer meeting and she just goes, Hey, does that mean anything to you? Now, usually God, I don't think, uses prophetic words to help or to cause you to make decisions. Usually he does it to affirm decisions you're already making. That's been my experience. We're we're starting to make a decision, we're kind of leaning in a direction, and then God comes along and kindly brings a word to confirm it. So that we have more confidence and faith to move ahead. I I just want to make sure I share this very clearly. No prophetic word should ever if you ever set you in a direction of your life based on just a prophetic word, okay? So if somebody comes up to you and says, thus says the Lord, you should be a fireman. Don't listen unless you were already thinking about being a fireman. Does that make sense? Like, just be clear. This is not God speaking to you, telling you exactly what to do. It's more to affirm or confirm what he's already doing. All right, there's one example. Uh, another. Um, so I got to preach at Covenant Life Church this past summer. As you guys know, that was a very, very large church. And at the end of the time of preaching, a couple weeks ago, or months ago, this uh, 20-something-year-old guy comes up to me and goes, I just need to thank you for your prophetic word. And I'm thinking, I have no idea what he's talking about. And he goes, you don't remember this, but 15 years ago, you shared a word where you said, this is in a group of 4,000 people, so God just dropped this thought in my head. I had a picture of a kid sitting in a front door, looking out his front door window with his dog by his side. And I said, I just have a picture. You're sitting there, and you're just contemplating life and stuff, and he, God just wants you to know that he is with you, that he sees you, that you're not one in a million. You are one, and he loves you, and his eyes are on you. And this kid just said, that was me. My life, my life changed in that moment. And he tells me this 12, 15 years later about how God used that to meet him in his life. Um, so just another you know, simple, God just gave me a, a picture, delivered the picture, and God made it work out. Another little example. I was in a group of people praying. I didn't really know them very well at all. And uh, during the prayer, I just felt like God put on my heart uh, uh, that one of the gentlemen that was in the circle, uh, that God wanted him just to really invest more in young men, to make disciples really specifically of younger men. And so I said, hey, I am not, you know, I don't know your situation. I don't know if this is from God or not. I could be very wrong, but um, I just have this sense that God wants to use you this way. And his wife just starts laughing immediately. She goes, we, we were talking about this in the car on the way here about how I thought he should start doing more discipling of young men. So they're already having the conversation, and then God just uses that to keep nudging him in that direction. So that's often how the gift works. And and the encouragement then is, as people have shared them with me and as I share them with others, it's always with a lot of humility and a lot of, does this mean anything to you? Because it might not. Because I've shared with people, and they've gone, no idea why that would be for me. I'm like, all right, cool. Like, that's, that's not my job to bring the application. It's just to bring the message. Does that make sense? So this is a, a humble moving forward with people. So that's part of the kind of the grow part of it, helping believers grow. And then also there's a go aspect to this. So number 11, prophecy is spirit-empowered, really for go mission. He gives us the gift of prophecy for go. And so if you look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in verse 24, he says this. But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, so there's somebody in the public gathering, the group of people that are all together, that are not believers or on the outside, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So there's a place for the gift of prophecy to function in the heart of someone who doesn't even know Jesus yet where God brings something spontaneously into someone's mind that they share and the person goes, how'd you know that? How did you know that about me? And it's a way for them to say, wow, God's in the house. God is really here. He's really among you. And so that's how I think this gift is meant um, to function. I had, a, I had a prophetic word at Easter a few years ago that I shared, and it was a, I had a, pictured it as a big oak door of a church. It was an old church, big oak door. And I said, there's somebody here who is standing at that door, and it's a door you're familiar with. You used to go to church all the time, but you've decided to curse God and run, but you're back here this morning, and you need to know that God is here with his door wide open for you. At the end of that gathering, this guy came running down, weeping, running down to me thank you so much, that's me. He goes, I, I don't, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what it even means to be a Christian. He was lost, but that was the word that kind of tipped him over the edge to say, okay, if God's door is open, I'm ready. Let's, let's learn what is this all about to be a Christian. So, so that's just a silly little example of how God uses um, his prophetic words to help people who don't even know Christ yet, but the bottom line of it really is that people will say, wow, God is really here. I don't know, have you ever been on the receiving end of that? where maybe it's one-on-one or maybe it's in a group and someone shares a word and you go, wow, how'd they know that? God is really here. I mean, isn't that why we gather? So we can say, God is really here. God's here. He's among his people and he's working and he's encouraging and he's using gifts to do that and especially stirring us up with the gift of prophecy. That is what we long for as a church. I want people to come early Not just on time, because you're afraid you might miss something that God does. (laughs) That you might miss that God is really among us. All right, so let me sum it up here. It seems that the Spirit of God rejoices in manifesting the presence of God for the advancement of his mission. That's what it seems he's doing. The Spirit of God loves to manifest the presence of God among the people of God for the worship of God. That's really what it's about. And the gift of prophecy seems to make this happen more than other gifts. All right, it's so number 12. What do you do? How, how do you grow at this? So I just jotted down some things that I've learned and things that others have helped me so that I could learn not to quench the Spirit, but to grow. And so the first is very simple. It is to ask God to speak to you. It's to ask Him. Ask for it. God, if you desire for me to prophesy, whether that's to the whole church or to an individual, please give me ears to hear. Number two, how you can grow is, I would say, to be Scripture-saturated. I hope we are eager to be Scripture-saturated with or without the gift of prophecy. But someone once shared with me, they said, if you cultivate the ability to hear God's voice from God's word... It will help you to hear God's voice outside of God's word. And I found that to be totally true. Learn how to hear him through this, and then you'll learn how to hear him outside of God's word. Third thing is learn to listen. Learn to listen. I think sometimes I need to stop so much. Listen, Lord, I'm speaking. And a little more, <laughs> speak, Lord, I'm listening. I think often when I do that, he often has things to say. And listen, when, when, a, when a good thought, when a scripture comes to your mind, when truth pierces your heart, when you say, speak, God, I'm listening, don't assume that's just your mind making stuff up. It's the Spirit of God who's inside of you who wants to remind you of truth. He wants you to embrace truth. He wants you to believe truth. So if you ask him to speak and you hear a scripture, especially if you hear a scripture from God's Word, you can bank on the fact that that's God's Spirit speaking to you. And then you can say, all right, is there anything else you want to say? Is there anything else you want me to encourage? What would you like me to say to them? And see if he brings a face or a name or a word for that person. And then lastly, the last little thing I would just say is we've talked about what it means to be filled with the Spirit before as a church. We've talked about the use of music in the way that God seems to stir the Spirit in us. I put some verses there in the Old Testament especially and in the New where it seems that there's often this connection between music and being filled with the Spirit, music and prophesying. And so, obviously, the prime time, when we're together like this, and singing together, it's a moment where you could assume that you're going to get filled with the Spirit in a unique way, and then you can ask Him to speak to you and assume that He's going to give you something that you can encourage someone else with. So, there seems to be the pattern in Scripture. It is prophecies to be eagerly desired, Everyone gets a gift, but it seems that God wants to pour that gift out on different people at different times in different ways. So I think that's true of all the gifts. Side note, in case you didn't know that, I think that God will give you the gift. He needs to give you to accomplish what he has for you to do, and then he might take that gift away and give it to somebody else. So you don't have a gift for life. So throw away your spiritual gifts tests. You have all the gifts, and he's going to highlight one of them here and one of them there. And there may be one or two that you, he really pours out on you differently, but don't don't hold, don't hold him to not being able to do whatever gift he wants to give you because he can do whatever he wants. So be ready for it. Don't, don't deny it. And so be ready for that. And then listen. And then if you hear something and you think it's for somebody and you're like, oh, I'm not so sure about this, share it, share it with somebody else. Share it with somebody else. Share it with your spouse or your friend or somebody else in the room. Be like, hey, I feel like God wants me to go share this with them. Do you think that makes sense? Like run it by somebody. Else. Let them weigh it. If you want to come talk to Tyler Jordan and I and let us weigh it, and if we think it's for the whole church, share it with the whole church to encourage each other. Um, And we're just going to be listening for things like, does it line up with Scripture? Does it build up the church? Is it brief? Is it clear? Is it easy to understand? Did it come to you spontaneously? All the stuff we just talked about. And then we'd love to have people share. So there it is, 12 points. 11. Seven. Seven. What, what happened to seven? Did I skip seven? I have no idea. <laughs> I think that was when Caleb was fixing my butt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fine. <laughs> All right. All right, so let's, let's do this. Let's, since this was, if you, so seriously, let's take, let's take a couple minutes. Maybe we'll only sing one song at the end. Seriously, questions. We don't usually do this in this large of a setting, as I say, bring me your questions later, but maybe people are thinking the same thing. I have a prophetic word that somebody has a question right now. I'm joking. Does anybody have a, que- a question? Like, I, I want clarity on something. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So God gave you the personality he gave you to share a prophetic word in that way. So someone is going to share a prophetic word that's going to be very eloquent, and you're going to go, wow, that was like poetry. And the next person is going to share, and it's going to sound like a brick. That's okay. It's, it's The importance is the content of what it is that God wants to do to encourage the church. Now, as far as the person who's trying to process that, I imagine the person who has a very vivid imagine, imagination or whose mind is more uh, colorful. It, pictures may come to way more frequently, but don't dismiss that. And I think the key is, this is what this is what I was taught, was if the thing pops in my head, I go, oh, wow, okay, that that's clear. That could really be helpful for the church. What exactly would I, okay, that, okay. I kind of let it go for a minute, and then if my heart keeps beating, I'm like, all right, I think this is probably for the church and I shouldn't just push it down. Usually there's some sort of a, for me anyway, physical manifestation of some kind that makes me go, this is, this is more urgent or pressing than just a thought that happened to pop into my head. Does that, make, does that make sense? Have you guys experienced that before? Where it's like, if I don't go do this, it, for me it's almost like I have to come to a point where I go, I think I'm going to be disobeying God. This happens often. I'm here, Tyler or Kaylin are going to pray at the end, and I'm like, okay, this could be very helpful. Is it or not? And I, when it comes to that point where I go, I'm going to be disobeying if I don't do this. That's when I say, okay, I, and I interrupt one of them too, and I do it. Does that make sense? So there needs to be like a little bit of a sense of urgency, and like this needs to be shared. So good question. Questions? Yeah. Great question. You hear a lot of things, most of the stuff that is spoke of, in prophecy or stuff like that, is unfortunately transmitted over the airways. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. In that sense, and some people can get pretty <laughs> skittish about that because of that, and it's that, but that's where you hear most of the, right. uh, the prophecy from the world. Yeah. Uh, It seems that way. It seems like in the context of 11, 12, 13, 14, that Paul is talking about that church in Corinth and how they're functioning. And I don't know that Paul ever shares anything that, um, like when he's doing, I'm thinking about his, his, uh, his preaching through the book of Acts where he says something that could be seen as prophetic that casts over all believers everywhere as much as he's talking to a local group of people. That's what it seems like. Yeah. When you're, when you're yeah, yeah, it's when you're together. It's, this is why we do the Lord's Supper together and not Lord's Supper in small groups, because it seems like that's the context he's saying. I don't think it means you can't prophesy to someone outside of this church-gathering setting. I think we see examples of that in God's Word. Um, but it does seem like it's stirred up a little more when you're together, when you guys all come together. Bree? It's okay, Absolutely. I think we should always have our ears open. Yeah. And it may even happen. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know how God works. In that setting, you already know a lot of information about the people in the circle. But God can still drop something in your head to encourage them. Absolutely. I mean, that doesn't happen in your group. Somebody's sharing their, their struggle and their sorrow. And God pops something about Jesus in your head and in your heart in a word. And you, you read the scripture to them. I mean, that's happened to me so many times. And I'm like, oh, that verse. That, I cling to that verse thanking God for it, because that verse wasn't in my head until you shared it with me. So yeah, I think that's huge. Yeah. All right, so how are we going to not let this just... Because I already know know a bunch of you already have the gift, and you've used the gift, and you use the gift very well. I believe there's others in this room, young and old, who have this gift and don't even know you have it yet. Because God just dishes it out when He needs us to have it. So I think it's just good for us to maybe just make sure we're reminding one another, like, hey, small group, this setting, like, oh, yeah, God wants us to exercise this gift. And I think we can do a, maybe a better job of reminding the church, hey, let's use this gift together. And, and you guys can remind me to remind everybody to use this gift together. Let's just see what God does and, and encourage one another. And not, I, I, love, I love our church. I think we're very loving and gracious with each other, so I don't feel there's any judging going on. Like, you might share something that's not super clear, and that's okay. Like That's okay. Let's, let's, I think it's kind of a thing where you just, the more you do it, the more you exercise it, the more you grow in it, and the easier it becomes, and I think the more it benefits the body. So I understand if there's like some fear and trepidation, like, oh no, I don't want to do this, because it's okay. Let's, let's take baby steps then together. But it does seem like it's supposed to function more than it has been consistently for us as a church family. So let's embrace that. Okay? All right. So let's do this. Kalen, can we do one song? And then I just want to encourage you while we sing this one song um, to be listening and to say, Spirit, if there's somebody here this morning that you want me to encourage or something specifically,